Well, I'd like to share with you from God's Word this morning. From Luke chapter 16, verses 14 through 18. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him, meaning Jesus. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. And since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Well, good morning again. It's great to be outside on this beautiful Memorial Day. We also want to honor those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice to protect us. We also celebrate those like those firemen and others around the world that are serving us right now, protecting us with their courage and with their love and for those who have served in the past. You know, our Teen Graduates Day, you guys are future leaders. And they are the ones that will continue in this fight to hold on to their faith and to bring that faith to a new generation. You know, in the passage I read at the opening, it said that Jesus was ridiculed. The, the religious people of his day, the, the Pharisees, turned up their noses at him. And friends, this generation of kids, our youth group, they're facing that every day as they are people of faith walking around in their schools. 80 million of their generation, the Gen Z generation, are lost or completely far from God right now. Why is that? I think part of the reason is they're growing up in a time of great cultural change. Changes in our world, and, and those changes are leaving many of them nothing firm in their lives to hold on to. And, you know, some of the change that we're all going through, because we're all feeling it, is good. And I think some of that change may be very, very destructive. My, my message title for today is Unchanging. And one, one truth we know about the scriptures or from the scriptures, that God is immutable, which means God does not change. We, we believe what the scripture says. It says Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forever. He is God, and so he does not change. Over time, many things in our world change. Styles of communications change. You know, this generation specifically has lived through a major, very quick change in how we communicate. For example, it took almost 100 years for the telephone, when Alexander Graham invented it, to reach saturation in the United States. It, it took 20 years for mobile phones to hit saturation. In these teen and girls and boys' lifetime, the smartphone hit saturation in just 10 years. Everyone has one. I, I do mission trips into small, poor villages in Africa and Haiti, and most of the people there have one. And, and you know, maybe in some ways that change in our communication is good. I receive texts from friends all over the world at almost 
no cost. But we're also exporting our American culture and our values through these things across the world. And all the things that we lift up now in our culture may not be good for the rest of the world. You know, teens today, they don't even know what a, a dial phone, a rotary phone is, or, or, or a pay phone, unless they've gone to a museum and seen one. Th that's how dramatic this change has been. And, and these phones have changed how we parent. Often they become babysitters that we just hand these things to our, our children to play games on. And, and they've also become an instrument of, of, of discipline. Just, just take uh, one away from a teen and, and you will have their attention. You will have ruined their life. So it, it is a, a, a way families are, are learning to discipline. And, you know, this change in communication can be justified. We can say we, we have better communication. It's, it's safer for our teens to have one of these phones. Now we can track them. Now they can call us if they need help. But there's also a detrimental change, I think, that's, that's happened with these things. And it's taken place in many families. I often see families at restaurants and they're all sitting there not talking, looking at their screens. I see groups of kids in, 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 in social situations afraid to talk to one another, texting friends who are not there to get over their social anxiety. What was thought would bring us better communication actually broke down our, our human communication. Since AI feeds us what we all want to hear through social media, these teens are growing up in a world more polarized than I've ever seen it before polarized politically and, and in many other ways. You know, people who used to disagree used to grow through the exchange of ideas. And, and now many of us just shoot at each other in the dark with our opinions and do a lot of relational damage. You know, and I went to school and if I was bullied, I just had to escape the playground and, and run home to safety. But for our teens today, they can be bullied on social media 24 seven. And it seems to me that often our relationships are not as deep as we voyeuristically look and compare our lives to thousands of friends, maybe even around the world. And I think many of our, our teens and our young adults suffer with social anxiety, afraid and, and unequipped really to make lasting relationships. And, and while we justify our, our children's needs for this device, the truth is they've actually been designed to addict us. You know, when I grew up as a boomer, parents, most of them tried to keep us away from addictive substances like cigarette and alcohol. But, but, but we readily just give these highly addictive things to our, our, our teens and our younger ones. You know, society, our culture now feels a kid is unprotected without one and, and that they'll be unprepared for life without one. And maybe that's true, or maybe it's because us adults are already addicts. I'm not really preaching against smartphones today, but against the, the, the justifications we use in times of rapid change without maybe seeing the consequences of them. You know, our teens, these girls have witnessed 
something else in their lifetime, a major change in family structures. In 2015, same-sex marriage became legal in the U.S. And, and since then, we've been bombarded daily in the media by images of boys kissing boys and girls kissing girls in both the advertising and the TV shows that they watch. And frankly, that was something, as a boomer, I never saw growing up. You know, according to Gallup poll, the LB, LGBT population is only about 2.8% in my generation. In the millennial population, it's now 10%. But in their generation, the Gen Z generation, it's 20%. One out of five of our teens, before the legal age of consent, is already identifying themselves with various sexual identities. This is a dramatic change in our society and in our family structures. Is this good? You know, pop culture has justified it with a new slogan, love equals love. But is that slogan really true? To me, that slogan is bad theologically. The Bible says that God is love. God defines what love is. Honestly, there are many things that I love that are not good for me, like chocolate and carbs and, and sugar. And just because I like them doesn't mean that those are healthy for me to eat. If your 12-year-old daughter loves her boyfriend, is that justification for her to be put at risk and sleep with him? But, but she loves him. Love equals love, right? What if a 20-year-old man loves her? Does that worth putting her at risk? I don't think so. This new concept that our love justifies our behavior can be a pretty dangerous thing if we don't think it through. If I say I love my neighbor's wife, does that give me the justification to sleep with her? No, honey, it doesn't. Loving people, um, you know, I, 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 is important. I believe the Bible says all people need and deserve compassion. But I, I don't believe it's compassionate to ourselves if we just do what we love. Loving people is not saying everything we want to do is okay when that behavior puts them or others at risk. See, I believe that there are eternal, unchanging truths that guide us that have been given to us by our Creator. And our churches today have, have added to this confusion. Many churches, in an effort to be more in line with cultural sexual norms, are deconstructing the Bible. They rewrite it or reconstruct the message to make it fit with our modern culture. And, and now I, I believe that deconstructing things can be good. We can look at things and take them apart and, 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 and divide truth from error and, and improve things by breaking things down. But today, it seems that we are removing truths to fit with errors that are culturally popular. Is it any wonder that the Gen Z is the most lost generation ever in America? 80 million souls right now lost without a knowledge of or a belief in God. This is unprecedented in history. And is it because previous generations stopped listening to God and, and bow themselves instead down to the cultural idols we have of sex and money. When often 
people said they believed in God and his word. And today I want to look closely at, at what Jesus says to us, because I believe these are eternal words of truth to any culture. The Pharisees, the religious people, were, were lovers of money, and they heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. See, the, the, the Pharisees are the most religious people of Jesus' day, but, but they had a heart problem that Jesus is identifying. They, they, they loved money more than God. They, they turned their noses up to what God said, and they did what seemed more practical to them. Friends, money's not evil, but, but loving it more than God is. Friends, sex is not evil, but loving it more than God is. High-tech communication is not evil, but loving our new convenient toys more than God is. All those things can be used for good. Money can do good in the work in the world. Better communication saves lives and makes some things easier. Sex is a, a gift from God made for our joy, comfort, and to bring new generations with new gifts to us. But if we learn to love any of them more than God, we become lost into something temporary. And, and this is what Jesus says these religious men have done. Pharisees had an idol called money. Our culture has many idols, like money, sexual freedom, entertainment, fame, and information. And often we are more interested in religiously serving our idols than what God actually has to say. And this is what Jesus said to them. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. See, as humans, we're all master justifiers. Everybody, every one of us is great at justifying our actions. You know, I was having an argument with my wife the other day, and I was amazed at how good she was at justifying everything. <laughs> everything I was just simply trying to bring to her attention. She just justified it. But then I realized I had my own justifications too for everything that I was trying to bring to her attention. And and. All my justifications were not as holy as I originally thought they were. The Pharisees thought themselves holy, and so they felt like they could correct everybody else, including God. But Jesus, God, said something devastating to them. He said, God knows your heart, that you really love and obey something other than him. Instead, what's really driving you is your greed for more. You may look good on the outside wearing your religious clothes and, and, and uh, providing well for your family and giving at church and maybe even caring for the poor, but your real love is money, not God. He knows your heart. And, and so our self-justification does not work with Jesus. For what is exalted or lifted up among men is unholy or an abomination in the sight of God's. But friends, isn't that how we're justifying our behavior in today's society by what's popular in our culture? Isn't, isn't that how your teens' parents justify everything? Mom, everybody has a cell phone. Dad, 
Everybody got to go to that party. I should get to go. But friends, we can be very deceived in our justifications. You know, Nobel, the one they named the Peace Prize after, do you know what he invented? Dynamite. Dynamite. You know, and, and, and most destructive weapon the world had ever seen with the justification that it would end all wars. That didn't happen, did it? And then, then these people came along and developed a nuclear bomb and, and, and dropped it on the people of Japan, killing millions of innocents. And they justified the devastation of their technology because it would end all wars. 50 years later, it hasn't worked. Because better technology can't solve the problems of our self-justifying evil hearts. Today, many people feel justified in the things they do because of their feelings. After all, love equals love. If I feel positive about something, that makes it right for me to do. But isn't that a just a justification? The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and it's desperately sick and who can understand it? Justifying or leading our lives by how we feel, friends, can be disastrous. Nobel, again, felt like he felt like his weapon would end all wars. His feelings were wrong. I'm not saying do not have emotion or that emotion is wrong, but that they are bad leaders for your life. Another way people lead their lives is by signs. They see, you know, Mother Mary in a tortilla or something, and they think that it means something, and maybe it does. But the problem with signs is you can misinterpret them very easily. The Pharisees saw wealth as a sign that God was blessing him. But you know, it also could be a sign that they were corrupt, that they were given to covetousness and greed. See, God knew their heart. He was a true gauge of what was true in that outward sign of prosperity. We often today think whatever is practical or profitable to us is what makes things right. Many today lead their lives by what they know. So they love information and they love education and that becomes a God to them. You know, the men who developed the nuclear bomb were not dumb. They probably had the best education and information around at the time. But what they did not have was the future information of how devastating that technology would be to all generations going forward. You know, often we justify advancements of our technology or culture by the lives it will save or the ease it will bring to our lives or the problems that it will solve. But if we ignore God's eternal design for our lives, these things could be disastrous. You know, didn't just a few years ago, some brilliant people develop a germ that had devastating effects on everybody worldwide? What is exalted by men and women is often an abomination to God. You know, we have this new AI technology that could save lives and it could save human effort until it determines that we're not necessary and seeks to destroy us like the movie T Terminator. I'll be back. Our, our, our friends, it's a, our bad ideas come back. They, they, they come back 
and sometimes they destroy us if we're not listening to God. The best way to lead your life is not to rely on your own emotions, not to rely on the signs that you see that you interpret or your ideas or your opinion, but it is by really listening to what God has to say. Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. Blessed means happy. Happy is the one who does not let the counsel of the wicked of the popular culture dictate his or her life. And the one that doesn't stand caught up in the emotion of the crowd, the sinners, or, or sits with those who are proud and confident that they know it all without relying on God. But happy is the one, prosperous is the one instead that delights in leading their lives by what God says. In a world of change, friends, they are the one planted with deep roots. And I hope these girls will stay deeply rooted. Deep roots holding them when the storms, all the rapid changes of life come all around them. Jesus says this, continuing. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. And everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. The law of God in our lives is to be constant and unchanging thing that, that gives us stability in a dynamic world and a, a changing culture. Now, when most of us hear the word law, we, we think of the Ten Commandments. But what the Bible says the law is is much broader. It is all of God's word. It is not just the shall nots. It is his promises and his principles of life. Jesus says the law, which is the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And then he says the prophets, the rest of the scriptures of the Old Testament that they had at that time. And then he mentions John the Baptist. John the Baptist was there to prepare people's hearts for Jesus' gospel. So, since John was a prophet, some of the scholars try to include him with the prophets, but John was really preaching about something new, something close at hand. The law of God, his word, walking around among us in his flesh. In, in Jesus' gospel, you enter God's grace not by your obedience to laws, but through him, through his grace and mercy. The Pharisees felt justified in their sins because they thought they were the most obedient people around to the law. They had memorized it. Many had memorized the first five books of the Bible. They wore it on little leather pouches on their head, on their forehead. But friends, they, they missed. They missed the heart of it. Their, their, their good news to them was their own self-justifications. They believed salvation was being more obedient in the law than the other riffraff. 
the, the biblical world, word, uh, the biblical definition of the word justification is to be declared not guilty. Friends, who here can be declared not guilty of sin in God's eyes? Who can declare you of not being guilty in God's eyes? God. Right? The way they justified themselves left them guilty. They self-justified. But God knew their heart. They were still guilty of idolatry, the idolatry of money in their heart. And, and, and Jesus came with this good news that God would justify them by his grace through our faith alone. And that justification came as a gift from God. You know, many today believe that Jesus came to make things easier, that, that he lightened God's demand of the law. And friends, that's a misunderstanding of his gospel. Jesus right here is saying, not one pen stroke of his law is null and void. It all still applies. And while Jesus came to usher in a, a new covenant of grace, Jesus did not discard or throw away any of the law, but instead he came to fulfill himself every pen stroke of it. The whole Bible, friends, is about Jesus. His gospel is throughout it. His coming now was a fulfillment of what the law demanded, a perfect sacrifice. His coming was what ultimately the prophets were prophesying about. God's good news about this same coming deliverer that had been preached throughout all the law, starting with our fall in Genesis chapter 3. That, that was promised there that God himself would justify us with him by our faith in this deliverer. But, but friends, since that's been preached, since Genesis 3, we as humanity have tried to justify or force our way into his kingdom. In the original Greek, that word forced is translated, we did violence to it. We did violence to the gospel of God's grace, trying to force our way in by how we justify ourselves. This kind of religion does violence to others too, because it gives them a false way to get into the kingdom that won't work, trying to be holy like you think you're holy. God knows our hearts. Our hearts are sinful. Our hearts are idolatrous. Even when we think we're going in the right direction, we're often going in the wrong direction. We let our feelings and our knowledge and our sins justify our behavior, but there is no justification ever for breaking one of his laws. Jesus says it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot, one little period, pen stroke of his word to be considered not valid. Our cultural preferences, friends, in America, don't erase it. You know, the Bible has always been counter-cultural. Friends, we can't force our way into his kingdom with justifications like, well, everybody's doing it. Everybody in our culture is doing it. 
But today, isn't that what's going on in this brand of progressive Christianity, this, this movement where we excuse certain sins, which are culturally popular, and we condemn others that are not popular? Sin is sin. Today, people are using cultural norms or what is popular to make God evolve, to be more like us, which, friends, that's blasphemous. His law says he's unchanging. Psalm 33:11 says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart are from generation to generation. Friends, there's not a, a mean God of law in the Old Testament that becomes nice somehow or more tolerant in the New Testament. He's always the same God, both a God of justice for sin and grace and mercy for us sinners who will repent and come to him. The fact is that he does not change is very, very good. Malachi 3, 6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O sons of Jacob, you are not consumed. Our God is a consuming fire. He is completely just. And if, But yet us sinners, like the sons of Jacob, read about them sometime, were not consumed because of his promises. He promised grace, not because of how we justify our behavior, but because of his nature. And there's no way we can force our way into his kingdom or into what is right by how we as a culture or a people justify ourselves. Today, we consider the preacher a great sinner, homophobic, intolerant, misogynistic, and backward. And we consider sexual deviance, enlightened, open-minded, and morally superior in our culture. What's happening right now is what Isaiah said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to the preacher if he says he's good when he is evil. For God knows his heart. And woe to the sexually immoral that says his style of choice of life is good when it is evil. God knows his heart. None of us can self-justify. We are not the law makers, friends. We are the law breakers. Neither side can force their way into the kingdom by their own justifications for their sins. By saying, hey, well, I, I'm just not as bad as that guy or girl over there. I'm, I'm not as bad as the, the ones that don't go to church. I'm not as bad as those people that do that or, or those people that are racist. I'm not as bad. That's what we try to do when we justify. That kind of justification does not work with God. And that, that, that's true no matter how bad the other guy or girl is morally. Nobody is saved by their idea of morality. They are saved by his mercy and his grace. We are not saved by saying we do not need to be saved. That, that our sin is not so bad. That's just another way we all self-justify. We are saved when we do what Jesus started preaching. A time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That promise never changes. God came to justify us by his grace. And Jesus has come at this time to fulfill the law of God for us. You know, Jesus didn't justify himself before God's law as we do. 
Instead, he was a man who just walked according to God's law humbly. He never sinned. He said that all the law could be summed up in a couple sentences when the experts of the law challenged him. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On those two commands depends all the law and the prophets. And friends, that's not changed. That was before the Mosaic law. That is now, that's always. It may sound easier than trying to fulfill the 10 commandments or the 614 or so things that were in the ceremonial law. But, but you can't just do that, that, that simple thing. I can't. You can't completely obey that all the time. You know, the Pharisees eternal, externally obeyed part of the command to the praise of men. It appeared they, they really loved God because they had a lot of knowledge of the law. But Jesus said what was true is they loved money more. They did not love God or obey God with their hearts. And, and his command is to love God with all your heart and with all your mind. Maybe they like the idea of God, but their hearts love money. We may claim to love God, but if we have sex outside the covenant of marriage between a man and woman, the truth is we really love sex more than God. The mind says yes to God, but the heart and the body say no. You know, Jesus' teaching actually made things harder. You don't have to worry just about acting violently or acting lustfully towards others. You had to worry about what's going on in your heart and, and in your mind because God knows your heart. Jesus did not take the demand of the law away from us and make it easier. He loved sinners by clarifying to us how great the demand of the law was, that none of our justifications could work. Friends, if you read the Beatitudes of Jesus and, and, and you religiously believe that you accomplished those with your life, you're making justifications. Be very careful because God knows your heart. Those, those, those things wreck me when I read them. Jesus maybe makes it sound softer because he says blessed when he's pointing us out to how to live happily and successful instead of a, a thou shalt not. But, but, but the demand of that, well, that clarification of the law was even tougher. Now Jesus continues with something very interesting. He says, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorces, divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now I'm going to cover later more marriage and divorce. So, so this isn't a, a slam on divorced people. And, and, and that's something that happens in, in, in life. But what was going on in his culture was that in Numbers, uh, or Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, um, God allowed for divorce. He, he allowed people to divorce because of the hardness of their hearts when sexual immorality had happened, when, a, when a, a wife cheated on her husband or a husband cheated on her wife. God allowed divorce to happen. He didn't want divorce to happen. God hates divorce because it hurts people. But he allowed it to happen because of the hardness of our hearts. So 
there's a lot more complicated to say on divorce, but in Matthew 19, Jesus says, somebody asked him the question, does God permit a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus said, Moses allowed it, but that was not God's intent. The law allowed it, but that was not God's intent. God's intent that was that marriage, and this came before the Mosaic law and any other law, marriage became a principle that was, was put before everything. It was a, the, the second relationship, and it was between a man and a woman, and it was that they would become one flesh and that that would not be divided by anybody. That, that was God's intent, intent. But because we justify and because we're sinners, divorce was, was needed. But it was not God's plan. See, when we say that, say the gospel here, we say it this way, that, that God has a design for our lives. That design is what his law is. And our, our, our lives will become fruitful, they'll become successful if we pursue obedience to his law. But the truth is, for all of us, is we depart from his laws. We're, we're rebels, we depart from it. And, and we chase other things that our heart really loves more than God, and that's called idolatry. We worship the created versus the creator. And the human body is, is a huge idol. Sex is a huge idol because it was the apex of God's creation and we, we chase after it as idols. And we, when we do that, we, we miss the mark of God's design. When we chase after money or, or sex or power or fame, we're chasing after an idol. And, and, and as those created things that are lust pursues, in the end, they have a hangover. They have a hangover and, and, and we become broken in our lusts. They have a destructive effect in our lives because we've abandoned God to pursue them and he leaves us broken. And, and, and this brokenness though is, is not a bad thing. It, it's actually a good thing that God uses as, as part of his design to get our attention and to turn us back to him. Friends, the law is not something we use to clean ourselves up with. It's not. It's not a, a sponge. It's not a sponge we clean ourselves up and look good on the outside and feel all justified. Instead, it's a mirror, friends. The law is a mirror that tells us when we're dirty so that we'll know that we need to turn back to him to be cleansed by his mercy. Repentance, friends, is just turning and believing in his power to justify us, to make you sinless. You know, we heard this word justification in church, and I want you to think of it as if you've been justified, it's just as if I'd never sinned. You're justified when you believe in the promise of his law which is in the gospel. The gospel is all part of his law. That according to the scriptures, Jesus came and he perfectly fulfilled the demand of God's law in every way. But God allowed him and planned for him to be put on a cross by us. And he died. 
He died. He took our penalty, the penalty that the law justly deserves to put upon us. He took it away. He took it with him to death on that cross. And he gave us his righteousness, which justified us, made us just as if I'd never sinned. Friends, we can't change his law to justify our sins, but we can learn to love and follow him and be justified by him in this unchanging or this ever-changing world. Friends, three days later, Jesus proved that we can be justified by him. It was not just words. He came out of the tomb alive again and alive forever and declared us not guilty of our sin. And he gave us the gift of everlasting life. And God gave him the power to help us recover and pursue God's perfect design again with a new heart, a new heart that seeks to obey his law and is uncomfortable if we try to justify ourselves so that we turn again and obey him. We can't change his law to justify our sin. Friends, the culture of men will tell you that you can find your identity in low things, in, in very low things like money and power and sex or status that men lift up and lust after. But Jesus says that's an abomination to God. Friends, your true identity is found in his word, in his law. Those things that the culture lifts up, sex and money, power, don't make you special. The unchanged truth of his word in the law does. His law says that you are made in his image. That, that, that you are worthy to be loved. His law says that, that he stood on a cross and lifted out his arms and says, I love you this much, enough to die for you. You're special, each one of you. You're loved. And friends, you're redeemable. You can be redeemed if we'll turn to him and not justify ourselves. You have a purpose. You have a purpose. He has a special purpose for each of you. Friends, don't be part of those who seek to re rewrite and justify themselves. It does not work. You'll lose who you really are. You'll lose yourself. You lose yourself for all eternity that way. Friends, be preserved forever by the truths of his unchanging promises found in his word. Let us pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that your word is true. That we can count on all of its warnings, that we can count on all of its promises, and what we can count on what it said about you. That, 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 that Lord, if we would confess our sins, you were faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of every wrong. And so, Father, today we turn to you. We don't seek to come and justify ourselves. We, we turn to you to ask for mercy, to clean us, to cleanse us as a people. Father, if there's anybody here today 
that realizes they've been walking away in idols and they, they've not been with you. May they turn today and believe on you. And you will justify them. You will declare them not guilty. And you will give them the gift of everlasting life. Let them put their faith and trust in Jesus right now and put their trust in him and be redeemed. Lord, thank you for the work you're doing right now. I thank you for what you're doing through the power of the Holy Spirit. Move us and change us. Make our hearts like yours. In Christ's name I pray.